There is a, a Moore's law equivalent for storage, Kepler's law that talks about it capacity doubling every, you know, every two years. So there is a law because this is what was given rise to this industry that allows you, I mean, think about where compute is now. Think about, think about how many photos you have on your phone. A lot. You probably have thousands <laughs> of photos on your phone. I mean, that was impossible 10 years ago. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Steve Santamaria, who is the CEO of Folio Photonics, where he is focused on innovating storage media with the first ever enterprise-scale immutable active archive solution that delivers breakthrough cost, security, and sustainability. Steve, who resides here in Chagrin Falls, is a seasoned technology executive, entrepreneur, and student of disruptive technologies. Steve spent 14 years at Intel, where he led an array of strategic projects, including Intel's Microsoft partnership, colloquially referred to as Wintel, investment in China Software Park program, global expansion of the Intel Developer Program, formation of the Visual Computing Group to move Intel into more graphics-oriented businesses, such as VR and 3D animation, and the launching of various Intel service businesses. Prior to Intel, Steve had a successful sales and business development career with companies including Control Data, Ceridian, Parametric Technology, and Giga Information Group. And most recently, Steve started two companies of his own, WebTuner Corp, an over-the-top video streaming company, and Envelop VR, which created the first Windows desktop environment for virtual reality. I really enjoyed getting Steve's perspective on the future of storage, the prospects for Folio Photonics opportunity looking forward, Cleveland's whole ecosystem and his reflections on leadership. I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Steve Santamaria. So to start, I'd love if you could share a little bit about your your own journey, your your path to and from Cleveland. And I, I know you have quite a a breadth of experience in your career across many organizations. And I, I'd love to hear about you know your path from leadership at one of the largest companies in the world at, at Intel to, to entrepreneurship and your, your interest in startups and how that all kind of transpired. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a native New Yorker that grew up in the Midwest outside of Pittsburgh. And um, I actually went to college at Allegheny College up in Northwestern PA. Uh, when I graduated, I, my first job was in Pittsburgh. I worked for Mellon Bank. And then I got recruited to go into sales for a company called Control Data. And the, the territory is based in Cleveland. So I moved to Cleveland. I had some college friends here. I shared a house in Shaker Heights with five guys. I mean, it was crazy. I lived on a couch for the first couple <laughs> months. Didn't know I was going to make it in sales. Turned out I was a, as an okay salesperson. But I lived here for that period for about, oh gosh, eight to 10 years. And uh, you went through you know a variety of different companies when you're on the sales track, you you trade your contacts in the region and your territory to better products with higher commissions. And I did that they were, you know, successfully from controlled data to parametric technology. I uh, worked for Steve McHale at, at US Connect for a, a number of years running his sales teams. And um, then I got acquired by a company, or no, I, I was working with a company called ICAT out of Seattle, 
which is an interactive online catalog kind of storefront that got bought by Intel. And it was kind of interesting. It was one of the easier jobs I had. I ran sales from Cleveland, kind of remotely, traveled quite a bit. And But then the dot-com thing happened where all of a sudden <laughs> I'm not getting recruited for new jobs all the time. And Intel approached me about moving to Seattle, you know, because they bought the company, but they're, they're just took, bought it for its tech. So they really didn't need me to be heading sales for this small business. So they asked me to if I would, would go there and take over the Microsoft partnership. So I ran Wintel. And I was at a point in my life where it was a good time for me to leave Cleveland and try something new. I was just started dating a woman and we moved out there together just to the Pacific Northwest by ourselves. And it was great. Got married, had kids out in the West Coast, was Intel for 14 years, left. While at Intel, I had a number of different different uh, uh, jobs. It's a, it's a great place to work. A lot of structure. My boss eventually became the co-CEO. And as she moved up, I moved up with her, did a variety of different things globally. I ran groups in China. I ran a graphics business. I ran developer relations. I did deals with Hollywood. You know, you name it. Um, she did a real good job of just putting me in very interesting places. And I did run, you know, as part of the team that ran the largest you know, duopoly on the planet, which is Intel, Wintel, uh, Microsoft Windows. Uh, I, I did a stint and worked closely with Intel's investment arm, which is called Intel Capital. And Intel Capital introduced me to the whole world of startups. And so I had a team that did basically deal evaluation for Intel investment. And after 14 years in Intel, I was approached by one of the CEOs that, that we'd invested in to, to take a job. And I was at the point where I wanted to try something new at Intel. I was tired of the big company. And so I left and went into a startup called a Web Tuner, uh, based in Seattle. It was kind of fun. It was kind of an over-the-top TV, and um, it was eventually sold. Then I started another company with some friends, a virtual reality company that was a in its heyday. We were super hot, and then it, <laughs> it the, the demise was just as fast. It was kind of crazy how fast it went from being great to being terrible. You know, shut the whole thing down, and, and, and at that point, I was just kind of looking around what to do next, still kind of figuring it out. And I got a friend of mine from here reached out and sent my resume into the North Coast Angels. Somehow it it wound its way through Northeast Ohio to Case Western, and they were spinning a company out called Folio Photonics, which is, you know, data storage, data center, data storage. I have that background in me. I worked in the data centers and I, I worked with these technology products and I came down and, um, Met with the founder. I was a consultant for a number of years, and then it was asked to become the CEO. And then I moved my whole family here, and we went full circle. And I'm now living a mile from the house I lived in in Chagrin Falls, in just a you know a different neighborhood. It's quite hilarious, but we're very close now to my wife's entire family's here too. So we get to see all the people we haven't seen you know for a very long time. So it's great. So that's kind of in a nutshell how I went that path. But it was it was a crazy path for sure. Yeah. A lot, a lot of different questions about your journey, but I, I think what I want to start with is just maybe a, a detour on the the tech transfer process uh, and spin out from Case Western that you mentioned. Because I I've actually now had a, a few folks on where they've kind of navigated this process of taking some kind of endeavor at a university, often Case here in Cleveland. Like, in your opinion, how much unlocked potential is there in these kinds of projects, and uh, what what does that actually look like in practice? Yeah, I was fortunate. the the tech tr The tech transfer was actually done by the founder, Dr. Ken Singer. Uh, he's a professor of physics at Case Western. 
Uh, he went through, when he tells me the story, it took him 17 months to get the, the licensing done to take his technology out of the university and to structure Folio. I came in a little bit later uh, when it's, when certain things were proven, certain patents were, were starting to, were getting approved and to commercialize it. But it was not, like I said, I didn't go through the process myself, but I understand it, it was a bit laborious, it, which is striking to me. And I've had conversations with the local universities about the process because coming from the West Coast with Stanford University of Washington, so all these schools that have very robust tech transfer, it's very easy to get, you know, to get the, to get the, the technology out of the university and into the hands of entrepreneurs. Here it's a, you know, it's it's a lot of technology gets sold into the big established companies. So they want rev shares. They want to kind of work out all these details where on the West Coast, a lot of it's about let's get it into the market as fast as we possibly can. And if it all pans out, we, we, we make our money back on the upside, you know, long-term valuation set of verse on, you know, residuals and retainer fees and things like that, that, that get put in place with a lot of deals. So it's a little bit, a little bit different than the West coast. That's, you know, to be expected, but you know, that's, that's one of the challenges of being in the Midwest. Yeah. So, so coming out of the, you know, your experience at, at Intel web tuner, I'm curious, you know, I understand that your resume got floated to the ether in, in Northeast Ohio, but how are you thinking about, you know, what you wanted to do next and your own motivations at that point in your career and why, why go back to, to a, to a startup? Well, I, you know, once you get bit by the startup bug, you you kind of get bit by it. I mean, you get kind of addicted. <laughs> uh, the the pace of life in a startup is so much more fun than at a big company now, and it comes with certain risks, right? I mean, I never had to worry about making payroll or running out of money at Intel, right? I mean, <laughs> right. I could go to the big bank of Intel if I'm over budget and I could find money. I mean, just the way the way it is. Whereas in a startup, you know, you're you're you you keep one eye on your bank account, and your burn rate. Um, as, as you go through it, uh, you know, gauging and setting up your next funding. Uh, so, yeah, the whole startup thing, it's it's addictive a little bit. And so I've done now, I'm in my third. And, and in some cases, I can't even imagine, you know, going back to work at a big company. I, I was just talking to one of my dear friends from Intel just this morning, you know, and he's coming up on his 28th year, 28 years at Intel. I'm like, oh, my God, I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> I have a hard time. I was there for 14. I couldn't imagine twice as long, right? So it's, it's just a, it's a different type of experience. And with a startup, for me, I wanted to be a CEO. I had been general manager. I ran big business units at Intel. In my startups, I was a chief revenue officer. I was a chief operating officer, but I was never the CEO. And I wanted to do that. And so when the, the opportunity presented itself, it became something that I kind of jumped at. And it's not what anyone thinks it is. I mean, I, whatever, you know, whatever <laughs> book you read about what a CEO does, I assure you for a startup, it's not that. It's yeah. the greatest surprise. I tell people that all the time. I tell them, what's your biggest surprise? I go, well, you're fundraising all the time. And every detail matters. And you better understand what's going on. I mean, it's just the level of detail. It, it's shocking. You know, and then look, I took a company, you know, through COVID. And, you know, that was a whole, there's no playbook for that. You know, I was talking to my VCs. I go, <laughs> what are you doing? What are, you know, what are your portfolio companies? Goes, well, they don't have a plan. We're trying to figure it out. I'm here putting one-way paths through our factory so that people have a circuit they walk around so to avoid bumping into people in the hallway. You know, I'm crawling around my factory, <laughs> taping arrows to create a flow, and we put rules in. You go past the bathroom, you go in and you wash your hands. You go, you know, we're taking temperatures twice a day, you know, 
No, you cannot. The lunchroom's gone. We took it apart. The, the, the conference rooms that we had, you know, they used to hold 12 chairs, now hold four. And you had to sit on far corners from each other. You know, it's because we didn't want anyone to get sick. It was hard. And it's yeah. like, I don't know what I was doing. You know, we got through <laughs> it. And, you know, you know, like anything, we a bunch of us got sick, sure. And, you know, you're out. You're you're out for two weeks. Don't even bother coming in. You know, and, you know how to how to work when we were shut down. But at one point, we, had, we only had like two people in the building at one time. And, you know, you stay very far apart and you're wearing a mask. I mean, there's no playbook for that. You're just kind of figuring it out. And at the same time, watching your burn rate saying, okay, we got to keep moving forward, keep developing, keep, you know, keep inventing, keep moving. But now, you know, it's a whole nother set of challenges. It was, it was a yeah. challenging experience. So, so let's maybe set the stage here for, you know, what it is you're actually producing uh, and what all that figuring it out is for. So, so tell us a little bit about Folio Photonics and from, from an overview, we can dive into the, you know, the broader space that, that you're operating in. So Folio, the, the technology was spun out of Case Western Reserve is, is a next generation data storage product, a data storage technology. And you think of data storage, you're thinking, you know, like, you know, the CDs, DVDs, tapes, et cetera, that store data. Uh, but this is really aimed at the enterprise and it's optical. So an optical product is kind of like Blu-ray, CD, DVD, Blu-ray are optical products. Uh, great consumer technologies over the years. Billions of those things were manufactured. Everyone had a Blu-ray at one time in their life, but it never made it into the data center because capacity on a Blu-ray disc is too small when compared to a hard disk drive or a magnetic tape, which was just terabytes of capacity. So the breakthrough that came out of Case was a way to, to make an optical technology of very, very high capacity and very, very low cost. This is where IP is. And, you know, if you want to get really into the weeds, you know, typical a Blu-ray disc has three layers of storage capacity per side. It's manufactured via a sputtering process where layers are added. So the active layer that gets written to, then a buffer layer, an active buffer, till you get three. They've never gotten beyond three because anything more, all of a sudden, manufacturing yields fall off. What mm -hmm. Folio does, and it's in the name Folio, if you think of kind of a book and pages of a book, what we do is we create a photonic film that we that is extruded. So the extrusion process allows us to have many, many more layers at a very, very low cost of manufacturing. And then you cut the film and you laminate to the disc and you have a high capacity disc. So we're making, you know, eight and 16 layer films right now. And, you know, it's alternating between the, the active photonic material and buffer layers. Uh, we can manufacture this by the by, by the you know yard after yard, and then we sit there and cut and make it a disc, and it's very very inexpensive. And the cost is something that's that's critical. It's not when you think of yourself where you have a couple you know megabytes or gigabytes worth of data. You have to look at these data centers, and they have you know exabytes and zettabytes. I mean, it goes kind of you know megabyte, gigabyte, terabyte, petabyte, exabyte, and an exabyte. Is a, is a million terabytes, a zettabyte is a billion terabytes. And if you're paying 30 or 40 bucks a terabyte, like your Amazon who has two zettabytes, that's two billion times that number. It's massive amounts. And, and the one thing that we have going for us is that, you know, the world's not creating less data. If anything, we're, the world's <laughs> right. becoming digital. You're making more. This, this video, this audio that you're taking, you're going to record, is going to be stored on multiple places, you know, backed up here or there. It's up in the cloud. The cloud is collection of huge data centers that have spinning hard disks um, in that. And so this is the market that we're targeting. It's a, you know, it's, like I tell my investors, it's a $100 billion plus 
market opportunity with a 28% CAGR growth. And it's dominated by three tape vendors, three HD vendors, and about a half a dozen SSD vendors. That's it. Yeah. And, and those technologies are all kind of legacy technology. So we're kind of a next gen going after that great big market. So it's, it's kind of exciting right now. No, it's, it's very exciting. So, so all this is in the context, as you mentioned of, you know, hard storage, solid state storage, maybe you could just paint a little bit picture of the, you know, how data storage has changed over time and, and, you know, where, you know, the history of it came from and, and how, you know, receptive the market is to, to the innovation that you're bringing to it. Yeah, I mean, th that's part of the challenge. I mean, data storage has been around since, I don't know, the first computers, 1950s. I mean, you have a compute element, you have a storage element that get, provides the data that gets computed against. And then if you want to keep it for any time, you're, you're going to store it. The original products, if you go way back to the mainframe days, they had, you know, they're cardboard cards, they had palm cards that were, you know, they were key punch and they would store them. You know, and you, I, I took a program class in college, I'm dating myself, but our program was a a cardboard box of cards, right? <laughs> that was your that was your program, that was your data. Then came the magnetic tape. And, you know, magnetic tape's been around. It used to be like a big spool. You see those pictures in the old days of the IBM mainframes. Um, now it's in a cartridge, like in kind of like an eight-track cartridge. It, it's very shocking to me when I came back into this industry that tape is still around, but it's still a $2 billion business and growing because wow. they do amazing things with tape. Those tape guys are are just amazing. But there's only two vendors left. Fujifilm and Sony make the tape and IBM makes the drives that write and read to it. That's it. Uh, the next big advance is the hard disk drive, which we all know from our, our PC days, right? Because it's a consumer product. But they also have them in, in the enterprise, in data centers, where you have rack after rack of thousands of these drives. The hard disk drives that are spinning these, these, these you know, metallic platters that they're writing and reading data to and charge, you know, magnetically storing the data. Now, the it's very it's fast data. It's very good, but it has a very short life. A hard disk drive lasts four years. So if you're store if you're the Cleveland Clinic, you want to store patient data for a life of patient plus thirty years or hundred years, you're going to migrate your data twenty five times. You're going to buy new media. You're going to move it. You're a massive migration problem. And then you know then came the SSDs, the, the software, the semiconductors. Um, products and they are just wicked fast. I mean, this is where all the great compute stuff for AI and machine learning goes. Just process massive amounts of data, but they're also very expensive. You know, at roughly about one hundred fifty dollars a terabyte. HDs cost in the twenties, twenty twenty five a terabyte. Magnetic tape costs about eight to ten. You know, we're producing product that we're gonna we're looking at three to five dollars a terabyte, right? So wow. from optical, and it has it's more of an archival product, meaning stuff you want to store a long time. It's not for that high compute, you know, you think of when you're doing a calculator, you know, two plus two, right? Bang, you know, in an instant, you know, what that is. But this is stuff like, hey, here's my kids, you know, photos from when they were born or their first birthday, their second birthday. Right, this is static things that are not changing. It's static, right? It's, it's object and you're going to pull it back and look at it. And that's where really the big market is going because nowadays we're, we're in a world where nobody wants to delete anything. So right. The goal is you create it because you don't know if you're going to delete something that's important, right? And so you may need it. So then, and then you know, there's a rise of a, of a new job called a data scientist, right? This, data scientists weren't around ten years ago. You know, I have a nephew that that took it in college, and he's got great job offers. But it's ten years ago there weren't wasn't a thing because there really wasn't enough data to you to go analyze. Now you have massive amounts of data, and you have tools. And you know, just think of like. 
mapping softwares or satellite imagery. Think of the military applications. You know, they they take the same picture from the same satellite every day for 30 years and they compare it and they can, you can tell troop movements. You can say, you know, what's happening underneath it. That's all a massive analysis that's being done by computers and they want that data. So you're storing every single thing you do. You don't want to delete it, but you have to be cognizant that as you, if you have a million terabytes, you know, do the math. If you keep it all on, on a, on flash or SSD and you're paying a hundred, 150 bucks a terabyte, it's 150 million bucks. You put it on HDD at 20, it's 20 million bucks. You put it on tape, it's eight. You know, it's expensive. And so you got to start lining yourself up to to optimize, you know, what is the work, the data that you need access to, the smallest amount, you put it on the flash and you start kind of, you start staggering down so that you, you are, you optimize your budgets for what the, what the use of the data is. Because a lot of data sits, isn't used for 10 years, pulled up 20 years, right? You mentioned that what I feel like is often the, the holy grail aspiration of companies, which is defined that, you know, 10x exponential improvement in, in something. And, you know, you mentioned just cost. So is it like, what, what does that look like in, in practice? How, how much do you have to sell people at this point to convince them, you know, where is it in the education process of people's familiarity with like, is this too good to be true? Does it follow like Moore's law, like compute does, you know, yeah. are, are people like attuned to thinking of it in that way? Yeah. I mean, there is a, a Moore's law equivalent for storage, Kepler's law that talks about it, capacity doubling every, you know, every two years. So there is a law because this is what's, what's given rise to this industry that allows you, I mean, think about where compute is now. Think about, think about how many photos you have on your phone. A lot. You probably have thousands <laughs> of photos on your phone. I mean, that was impossible 10 years ago. And now we're just like, my daughter takes a billion Snapchat photos a day. And it's just, boom, gets stored, gets thrown up in the cloud. And it doesn't cost her anything. It costs, you know, our, we pay nine bucks a terabyte, you know, for a, a month of storage or some crazy number like that. It's so inexpensive. And that same thing, I have a, I have a hard disk drive here from 1950 that I use. And it's about the size, it's about 18 inches in diameter. It held like 18 megabytes of data. IBM made it. It cost ten thousand dollars in the nineteen fifties. Eighteen megabytes. You know, I got a, <laughs> and I have a disk now. It's going to hold a terabyte for for five bucks, and it's that's a million of those things. It's it's kind of crazy how the cost is that that decrease in cost, which this is what allows these new usages, these new things that come that to, to happen to for you to create, you know, cloud and for you know some of these you know these. Um, your, your music editing, your video editing, you know, all that kind of stuff. You have to have very expensive storage. And, you know, and that's what, you know, that we, we bring to the market here. So, yeah, I mean, it's, we are following that curve. We have a, a price advantage because we have a material advantage. And, you know, if you, you think of it, a lot of history, a lot of technology has what they call the S curve, right? So it starts out low, gains adoption, and then you start to peter out because you start running out of ways to continue to scale that product. And, you know, a lot of the magnetic technologies are on kind of a 40-year S-curve where they're running out of ability to increase capacity. And so with our technology, we say, hey, we're starting at the bottom of an S-curve. We're about to, you know, HDD is at the top of their S-curve. You know, incremental gains cost a lot of money. We're starting at the bottom. So we have all this upside. So we'll go from one terabyte to two to five to 10 per terabyte per disk and continue to drive that cost curve down. And so, you know, that's that's the order of magnitude thing that you're talking talking about. We have good economics in terms of um, uh, the order of magnitude in terms of pricing because let's let's be clear, data storage is a commodity. 
You're right. storing a zero or a one. I mean, it's right. plus or minus magnetically, or it's for us, it's light versus dark spots, right? But it's a zero or one. So it's a cost thing. And so that comes into play is because off the bat, we have to be, if we're going to enter this market and, and, and gain share, we have to be lower than the lowest that's available. And so we, and we clearly have sights on that. And once you get people over that, that hurdle, well, then the other benefits come into play. Like, hey, our, our media life's over 100 years. So you can store it once and not touch it again for a very long time. The, the big one that's, that's coming into play right now quite a bit is, is, is power savings. When you store on a folio disk, when the data is not in use, the disk just sits, it doesn't spin. And it doesn't require air conditioning or any environment, it just sits. I mean, think of your own life. CDs, DVDs, and Blu-rays that you had in the seat of your car or your kid's playroom, you, you know, you never, you didn't keep them in a cool, dry environment, you know, just use them and they're, they're basically indestructible. So that's, a, that's an advantage that we have versus you take a magnetic tape, you gotta keep it cold, you got to keep it in a very dry place. Humidity's bad. Hard disk drives have to spin all the time. They're always spinning, always consuming yep. power. So we have like a thousand X in terms of over five years of, of power savings that we have over of some of these products. So, so these come into play, but sustainability and power savings, you know, I, I'll share a fact. Today, 3% of world the world's electricity generated goes to power data centers. Wow. Think about that. It is, they're projecting it'll be 10% by 2030 because we're more and more data centers are being built. Now, storage is typically about one third of the, of the power cost inside of a data center. So anything that you can knock off that and save 1% of global electricity, that's a huge, huge, huge advantage. And it, you know, and in the US, you don't see it as much because we have, you have ample access to power, but some of these, you know, other foreign countries, they don't have access to power. You know, they don't have that power generation, you know, the nuclear, the, you know, the, the, the coal fired, all the different ways, the hydro that we have here. So our, our power is relatively low. You go to an island in the, you know, in the, in the Caribbean, you know, their power bills way, way is much different. So, you, you know, anything you can do to help them save power is, it's a big thing for us. So, you know, that's kind of a, a side benefit of optical. And the third one, it, it's, it's security. I mean, all you hear about is ransomware attacks. And what is a ransomware attack is someone goes in and basically corrupts your data and says, hey, either pay me a couple million bucks or your data's gone. Now, you know, dirty little secret here, HDDs and SSDs are always connected and that's who they target. You know, you take an optical disc, you take a tape, tape has the same benefit and just take it out of the system and put it on a shelf. There's no way someone can touch that. It has to be mounted, spun up, et cetera. So you have this thing called an air gap. And, you know, and that's, that's a big, big advantage for these type of technology, especially on things you want to save for a very long time that you don't need sub nanosecond access to, right? Like your family photos. You know, I'd be very unhappy if someone got into my library and corrupted all my kids' baby photos and things like that. I'd be like, well, I'd pay the, I'd pay the damn ransom. Um, I don't want to do that. So I look for, you know, this is an opportunity for us. So those are the big three. Lowest cost in the industry, you know, the cybersecurity angle, and then real, real, real big in sustainability and power savings for our technology versus the, the incumbent. So we're looking forward to kind of getting that market. Yeah, I, it's, a, it's a compelling sell. I, I feel like I, I am sold. So I'm, what I'm curious about is like where there is resistance, if there is, if there is any. And, you know, like what, one of the stories as you were talking that came to mind was I remember, you know, one of the challenges that. NVIDIA has where, you know, production of chips and following the similar Moore's Law trajectory is often 
you know, what they're putting out is so far ahead that people don't feel ready yet. You know, like, you know, they don't have the, the capabilities to even like use a, uh, to fully utilize the the product that you're offering, is there some what what is the resistance if there is any? Well, the re- resistance, like a lot of, a lot of technology, you know, there's just legacy. You know, people don't want to change. Yeah, you know, I've been an HDD guy or guy for 25 years. You know, you want to store data for 100 years, I'll be dead before I need data in 100 years. I mean, <laughs> you get that conversation. So there's a lot of you know just inertia from the big storage guys that, you know, well, it's kind of working right now. Why do I want to upset my Apple cart? Apple cart. Uh, so, but then things happen that cause them to, people to take notice, you know, uh, you know, it, and then the, the rising costs all of a sudden, you know, when it's 10% of your budget, you know, you know, okay, we can get by on that, but it all, Oh, it's 20%. Also, well, then people come in they go to their, their data center guy say, well, you have to delete data. Because we're not going to pay for you to expand anymore. And they go, okay, you pick which of your data files we'll delete. Nobody wants to delete any data. So then they get their budgets approved. So money does come into it. And we're just getting over it. Now, optical is a little bit different because it's always been viewed as a consumer technology. So we've kind of a hurdle saying that, yep, started out as consumer technology. Now we're moving into the data center. So it's, it's more, it's more robust, right? It's, it's enterprise ready. And, you know, that's kind of the, the, the space we're in right now. But, Enough people are very curious that we're starting to make, you know, some good headway for, you know, early pu- uh, partners and early customers. So we're kind of, the future looks really good for us. It's just that, yeah, um, we're anticipating it's going to be like anything else. You're going to, we'll work until we get a breakthrough and then it's going to happen. Then it's going to be a lot of right, crazy fun. Right. Um, then a whole nother <laughs> set of problems come up, right? Like uh, Endless, endless problems. But yeah, and different endless problems, problems, better problems. Endless good problems, right? Well, one one of the other questions I have, you know, you mentioned the kind of commodity nature of it. And often I think with commodities, it's somewhat of a a race to the bottom Uh uh, in terms of, you know, right, like the the cost of it. And so how do you think about that, you know, from a competitive perspective, from a differentiation perspective? You know, for us, the race to the bottom is an advantage uh, because our cost, we start with a lower cost basis than the other products, right? I was talking to a guy at IBM and he said, you know, the next generation tape product they come out with, it's like 450 million investment to build that factory. I'm like, so you got to make at least 450. We don't spend that much money. You know, the, the manufacturing process for film production, you know, don't need a clean room. We, the extrusion is a very well-known technology. Film has, is highly scalable, a lot of volume. We, we just come in with a real nice place in terms of our, our cost model. You know, we can get lower and we have the margin to be able to embrace that. And, you know, once we get settled here, yeah, those guys want to get in a price where, okay, good. We can discount a lot more than they can uh, just just of the bill of material costs alone, um, you know, that we're, we're much less. So that's not something we fear. Right. But and in the end, it's all good. The the thing that people have to when I when I look at enter the market is, again, you have to realize the size of the market in 2025, new capacity is going to require about three and a half zettabytes. That's three and a half billion terabytes of data. You know, if we just sell five exabytes, I'm happy as a clam. I mean, the big guys won't even notice us that we were getting this little bit here, but we're a nice little company at that point. You know, you're, you know, we're we're in the tens of millions of of, of you know, maybe you know, closer to a hundred even of, of revenue now. Does that scare Western Digital? Well, hell no. They're 22 billion, right? It doesn't scare the Seagates of the world, et cetera. No. But we'll start and there'll be enough, there are enough edge cases and swim lanes that we can get ourselves established, you know, we believe, and start to get some, 
you know, get revenues in and start, you know, demonstrating use cases. And then we'll start slowly start moving up. It's kind of a land and expand strategy and then move throughout the, that enterprise. And we've got, we got people lined up already, right? So we're kind of excited about that. And, and all this, you know, you're, you're building it out in Northeast Ohio. Like, what does the company look like? What, it, you know, what, it, how, how is, it sounds like you might need a, some amount of capital, maybe not the amount that you would need for other means of storage, but. Yeah, I'm, that's why we're out fundraising right now, right? Because <laughs> the we announced in May, end of May, beginning of June, we, we were writing and reading to an eight layer folio disk. Okay, so that's a, a major breakthrough. Previous to that, four layers was the a four layer disk was the mass uh, was kind of the maximum of an optical product that was was demonstrated. So we doubled that. We dropped the press release in August, kind of setting up for this fall for our fundraising. We're out there actively engaging with um, the VC community, the venture community right now, for to raise our B round to allow us to build the factory to make those discs. Yes, there's there's a certain capital cost in terms of equipment, and then you know then building up the workforce which is gets people in Cuyahoga County and Summit County and Geauga County kind of excited because they're trying to land us with our jobs because, you know, we don't, our manufacturing jobs aren't being paid, you know, 15 bucks an hour. Our manufacturing jobs are, you know, getting paid 35 and 40 bucks an hour. So it's, you know, this is the kind of jobs that we're trying to create a cycle for inside of um, Northeast Ohio. So it is rather exciting. We, we'll move from our building right now. We're in Solden. We have, you know, around 10,000 square feet. We need probably another 30,000. So we're starting to, you know, start to talk with um, the, the realtors and um, the brokers to, to find that factory space. So we'll get that in place. So got to buy some expensive equipment, got to find a new building, got to move everyone into the new building. We have partners for, you know, other components of drives and libraries that are being, you know, built for us in Europe and, you know, advanced optics, things like that. So we're kind of putting the whole supply chain together. It's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts, but it's what's fun right now is a year ago, they were just kind of a whole, there was a, they were wish lists, but now they're starting to manifest going, okay, we're on track here. We're on track here. We're on track here. Let's go, you know, move up the stack. Let's get this done, et cetera. It's just, you know, I tell the team, I go, you know, just, we have a plan, execute the plan. And, yeah. you know, I just say it all the time. I tell how do you, how do you peel a, a pile of potatoes, one potato at a time? You know, don't get distracted by the size of the pile. Just keep back grabbing potatoes, doing your job, peel the damn thing, throw them in the bucket and grab another one, grab another potato. And pretty soon you grab enough of them, then all of a sudden, you know, you're off to the races. And, you know, right now it's it's, it's fun because we, we have some line of sight that we can see certain things. It's exciting. No, that, that is very exciting. How has it been fundraising? How is the story resonating? I mean, I'm sold, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some money, but. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, you know, it's, we raised... I don't know, 14 million so far with an A round from local angels. We have two VCs on uh, the state of Ohio through their Jobs Ohio program or also an investor. It was a task, but it, it went well. The current market right now, you know, it's it's kind of funny. You know, we're, I'm having all the conversations. There's interest in what we do. What's interesting now is that the with the with the dip in the technology stocks in the stock market that's hit in the last six months, it's, you know, everybody's like knocking down your valuation, right? Go, well, you know what? Last year you might have been valued at 75 million. Now you're at 40. I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, hang on a second. We didn't do anything different, but, you know, they're getting away. You know, it's, it's kind of what the market, what the market will bear. So we're still, 
kind of looking through it. We're raising, we're, we have some interested parties that are, I pop out on a plane tomorrow. Off we go and, you know, hope to get this thing wrapped up this year. Um, that will allow us to do the expansion and the commercialization that, that we want to. We just signed a term sheet with a, a first customer and partner. You'll hear more about it. I can't say anything now because it's not a final agreement yet, but, you know, we're, our attorneys are working away trying to get that banged into an agreement. So that'll be, be exciting. And that'll be announced probably later this fall. So things are moving forward. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not as, I don't want to say, it's just not a, a robust time, to great time to be raising money. And, you know, a lot of people are, are crying about it because it's tough right now. But, you know, we have a compelling story of compelling value proposition. It's not going to get the, the number that we need. We'll find it. Yeah. What has you most excited as you think about, you know, what, what's coming down the pike? I, 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 am, I am really looking forward to getting a commercial product done Called and and start and, and into a um, you know into an installation because right now it's it's all prototype stuff and it's PowerPoint presentation center it's provable. I say, hey, here's a damn disk. Put it in. Write your data to it. How much data can you write onto it? And oh, by the way, it costs five bucks. Now do that with any other product. You can't. Then I'm like, going, you know, the conversation changes at that point, right? So for me, it's about getting that first product done. I can't wait. And, and, and along the way, look, I've been here now since 2018, right? The the naysayers, they're like, oh, optical's dead. You'll never be able to do this. You can't do eight layers. You can't do 16. You can't focus that, blah, 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 blah. All the people say, no, I'm going to go around to all of you. Like, God, yeah, I wrote your name down in my book. <laughs> Guess what? I'm going to send you a note. It's done. It's done. It's done. Because there are people that did that. And it's like, you know, part of the thing about being an entrepreneur in any environment is, you know, keeping your spirits up and, and understand that you're going to face rejection. And always have people say, never going to happen, not going to work. And you got, you got to stay above it. And you got to keep your team motivated. So, right, we're, we're what, 20 people right now. I have an, an office in Solon. We have a, a research office in um, Longmont, Colorado. I have, you know, four or five people out there. And, you know, I try to keep our, you know, our team highly motivated, which is hard during COVID, Car, you know, hard dream, all these other things, but you know, it's kind of coming around right now. It's kind of exci exciting. So for me, getting the first product done, I'll be like, ha, <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't want to be there totally is. arrogant, but, but my, ha, you said I couldn't. And guess what? We did. There yeah. we are. It's very exciting. It's one, it's one of the more satisfying things for many sayers wrong. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, I probably won't even spend any time doing the hobby because I'll have a million other things that I have to work on now, right? About you now, yeah, international, we have other manufacturing, we have supply chain, you know. But at that point, I'll, I will take a moment out and say, here's the first product out. Ha. Yeah. No, you gotta you gotta celebrate success. You, you have to, because otherwise you're just you're just kind of just grinding. And I don't want to grind all the time. I want to I want to do I want to give the yeah. ha. That'll be fine. So may, maybe, you know, widening the, the scope of that a little bit, what does success look like to you more, more broadly? Like if you achieve success, you know, what is the impact that you would have, have hoped to have in, in retrospect? Well, there, there are a couple of things, you know, coming to Ohio was a conscious decision that my wife and I made. We wanted to come back. So, okay. Take out a, being a very successful company, you know, good cash flow growing, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I look at the region and, you know, I want to be part of the story here that says, hey, you know, he he came back and he introduced a high tech company in here, you know, kind of break the mold of what's happening. Like how excited am I that Intel put a big, huge fab in Columbus, 
which is fabulous. It's going to be great for the state of Ohio. Is it going to be great for Northeast Ohio? I don't know. Or is it going to be a big <laughs> sucking sound where everything going down, all the good jobs go down 71 and all the smart people. But let's do something to invigorate this region. You know, I'm I'm very committed to that. You know, we we talked beforehand. You know, I when I came here, I got pulled into the the, the block land um, effort. And, um, you know, and so I like giving back. I love, I like the idea of, of t- you know, creating great jobs in Northeast Ohio. I tell, I tell my research engineers all the time, you know, I said, Hey, your job is to make us successful and then quit. Take all the money you made from me and start another company. It's kind of similar. I mean, you know, that's what Silicon Valley is, right? Let's, let's, let's be clear. Intel is on the, you know, is on the east side of the 101, and then AMD is on the west side. NVIDIA is three miles away, a little bit south. I mean, they're all within spinning distance of each other. And, you know, I like to see this whole region change and become yeah. more of a, a tech hub. And, and you, you start to see people move to it. You know, universities starting to, you know, kind of gearing up. They're shifting some of the curriculum, some of the research into it. And it's, and it's more than just med tech. I mean, there's room for hard tech like the stuff that we do at Folio. There's room for software companies. There's, you know, it's a, it's a great place. You know, Cleveland, you have a great big lake. You know, weather's generally good. Cost of living is not bad compared to some of the other places, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a little bit hidden jewel, and um, you know, and I, I'd like to call attention to that. I'm yeah. about bringing back to the you know, kind of the area where I grew up, where my wife's family's from, et cetera. Is like, you know, give back here a little bit. Let's start something. Let's let's turn this place around a bit. You know, hey, the Browns won last night. It's a good thing, right? <laughs> it is a good thing. I would be interested in going on a little detour and, and just getting your yeah. your perspective as a as a former Intel, you know, leader about this move to Ohio and inverting the situation, like what needs to happen for it to not, you know, benefit Cleveland and how do we avoid that from happening? (laughs) Well, you know, it's podcasts like what you're doing here. And I mean, there's not a super great ecosystem here. All right. I'll, I'll give you a story. I started a VR company with two of my friends in Bellevue, Washington, which is right across the the big lake, um, Lake Washington from Seattle. And we kind of kicked around, you know, we kept meeting and we, we came up with a concept that made a lot of sense. We kind of mocked it up and, and we, and we're going, okay, this idea hunts. And so as entrepreneurs going now, the next step is we need to raise money. And so in, in Bellevue, you go to the Gaucho restaurant slash bar and the bar at the El Gaucho in Bellevue is a big L shaped bar. And on Thursday nights, the short end of the L is kind of where all the VCs hang out. So we go walking down there, talking to, you know, seed capital, things like that, talking. We walk away, got a couple of business cards, had a great steak, by the way, called those guys, and we raised two million bucks about three weeks later, just, you know, mining that and that network. So now I'm going, okay, we got money. So now we grabbed the space in a building in Bellevue, and we said, we got to start hiring engineers. So you go back to the same bar and now you go in the long arm and it's all the Microsoft, Google, Facebook software guys <laughs> been around for a while, done really well. And that's where we started, you know, recruiting engineers, you know, and we found kind of a two of our principal engineers that came out of that restaurant. So you have this huge network where you can go and you can kind of you can find money and you can find, you know, you can find people and things like that. And so that is what is kind of lacking here in Northeast Ohio. Like, where do you go? Is, is there a place in Ohio City where tech people go hang out? I don't know, because I haven't been there yet. I have I have my <laughs> place where I go to with my friends, but they're all lawyers. And all they talk about is suing people and doing things like that, and it's great fun, And I'm, but I'm the odd duck in the group. You know, I'd like to find a place where there are more people like me where we can talk about the challenges, because fundamentally, versus the West Coast, 
which takes a minute on the West Coast, takes an hour in Cleveland or the Midwest. What takes an hour on the West Coast takes a day in Cleveland. What takes a day on the West Coast takes a week. What takes a week takes a month. There's just a, there's a lot of friction in getting things done. Your hiring process is longer in terms of vetting and getting people in here. You know, your supply chain is a lot different. Things, the nature on the West Coast is people want to move very quickly, right? And they, they get it because you're just burning money if you're a startup. So things are faster. My attorneys, my West Coast attorneys could flip a contract in two or three hours. Here it will take three or four days. You know, it's often the case. I go, that's just that's burn money, right? I can't, I'm just wasting money at that point. And so, you know, I'd like to see more urgency. I'd like to see a, a better network of resources for entrepreneurs to tap into. I mean, look, I, I, I propose this at one of the meetings. I go, boy, think about all the IP that sits in Sherwin-Williams, Eaton, Parker, all these big companies. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that they have IP around and they're never going to do a damn thing about it, but they have the patents filed, they own them. I go, what if they pulled all that and made it available so that an entrepreneur could come and just kind of go through it and see if something comes to mind and then cut a licensing deal. I mean, something in the bowels of these buildings, even the universities, the cases, stuff like that, huge amounts of IP, but not all of it's being worked. So do the stuff that's not being worked, make it available to somebody to go find, you know, create that environment so that who knows what they're going to invent. It's going to be kind of crazy. I mean, the guy that, you know, he invented the sticky note, was trying to come up with the glue that would never, that lasted forever. Instead, it came something that, you know, you can use over and over <laughs> and over. I mean, it's accidents happen and they're good. And I, and I like to see that happen because there's foundationally, there's kind of a lot, a lot to be said up here, right? In Northeast Ohio, foundationally. So. Yeah. Well, no, all, all that, that resonates quite a lot. I think the, the theme that I've picked up on from, from just a lot of people and some of my own impetus for, for doing this is the, it is, it's, it's somewhat of a density problem because there's a lot of people doing really cool stuff here, but it's, it's how do you facilitate the interactions between those people in a way that doesn't, you know, require someone from Avon Lake to drive to Chagrin Falls and like to, you know, and, and, and frankly, the other thing that I, I would ask is how do you keep the Snoopy big companies out of the conversation? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, when I assume the blockchain stuff, I go, oh, hey, you know, we got some blockchain guys. And you can tell who they are because they're all wearing, you know, black T-shirts and hoodies, right? <laughs> but then they're also, well, 10 people from Key Bank came down, wanted to check out the meeting. And that just, bleh, you know, it's not the right vibe, right? I mean, let the startups do startup stuff. I mean, there's a time for the big companies to come in. But, you know, the, everyone's rushing to embrace sometimes. I, I think it does a, a disservice in a lot and something. And I don't mean to pick on Key. I'm just using them as just a big yeah, yeah. But, you know... <laughs> We have a lot of big corporations here and, you know, that's in big corporations is not where innovation or startup, these type of things happen, you know, these kind of breakouts. Right. And so, you know, I'd, I'd like to just see a little bit more vibrant of a community. And then, you know, and then the supporting look, the struggle that I've had to get a credit card for my company. Oh, good. We don't have any revenue yet, but we had you know, a couple million in the bank and people are saying, no, 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 we can't give you a credit card. You don't have any revenue. I go, you have my bank account. You know, why can't you give me a credit? I mean, on the West Coast, Silicon Valley Bank, there are people that that cater to startups, right? right? And they, they they assume a little bit of risk. We pay a little bit more, but it's fine. You know, your insurance, right? You have to offer good benefits uh, to, to attract these people, right? And, you know, you, you go into places that pooled startups so that they could have, you know, you know, better rates and things like that. There's just a number of things that would be, would be a lot easier that I could see you know, opportunistically 
could improve around here. They'd be kind of great. I get on my soapbox every now and then. But, you know. No, I, I, I love that. I would love to, to, to talk more with you about that. Oh, yeah. Um, what, one of the, the things I want to circle back to, though, actually, what you mentioned earlier on was that, you know, perhaps the job that people perceive to be, um, you know, what it is to be a CEO is, is quite different from the, the realities of it. And I, I want to kind of gauge your perspective on, on leadership. And I, in preparation for this conversation, actually, I came across a term, you know, you carry with you, which is Nemawashi, which is one that I actually also love. And so just for, you know, the sake of everyone who does not know what that is, I'd love if you could explain it, but also just your, you know, what do people need to understand about the, the role of a CEO that they, that they maybe don't, um, and, and how, how you think about leadership? So, you know, for, you know, for leadership, you know, it's, it's setting direction. You want to give people quite a bit of freedom to, to, to kind of execute, but you have to stay very, very tuned to it, especially early on, right? You know, if trust is built as teams start hitting deliverables, things like that. But early on, you're, you're, you're watching everything to make sure that milestones are being met, right? That, you know, that you, you, you do a plan, you execute a plan. So, you know, we're doing, you know, stand-ups and retros and things like that. So a lot of communication and a lot of awareness being generated. Um, really, you know, also as a CEO, you know, making sure that the interdependencies are in place, that, you know, people aren't being supported or, you know, or, you know, in a bad case, they're not being supported. So how, how can you mitigate that? You know, as, you know, solve, you know, help solve those interpersonal, inter-team uh, type of problems. But it's really about strategy, right? It's about looking very, very long term, and and kind of have a plan and have plans for the plan and plans for you know all the different options of the plan. You know, we have three or four plans. Okay, fundraising comes in at this. This is what we do. If it comes in this. We do this. We do. You know, we try to have all those those contingencies planned for so that we can mitigate them and just don't you just turn and go. So you're not oh stop. I got to rethink the whole plan. Okay, so. Have it so, you, so people can follow, lay that roadmap. But strategy, strategy is key. Now, the, the Nemawashi thing is kind of interesting because as CEO, you're the number one salesperson of your company. You're number one salesperson to the investment community, and you spend a lot of time raising money. But all the strategic partners that you want to talk to, I mean, we're dealing with big companies. We deal with Amazon. We deal with, um, you know, Microsoft. We deal with Western Digital, IBM, you know, Seagate, you name it. We're, we're talking to these guys all the time. And Nemawashi comes into it's like, so you start engaging, and this is where my experience at Intel, you know, it's hard to figure out how a decision is done in a big company, right? And so you got to you gotta have your fox is going to help you find the ultimate decision maker, but you realize it's a lot of time it's consensus and decision making. And so you invest a lot of time in building relationships. So when I go, I just came back from the West Coast and I had meetings, for example, with Western Digital, and I'm, I'm going to be there for, there for a week. So I like seven or eight different meetings. I had one or two breakfasts and a dinner, went drinking out with a guy who's not even part of the, who I'm working with is the core Western Digital, but he gives me insights and he, you know, helps give me direction and helps lay the groundwork for, you know, it's the Nemawashi side of it, right? You're, you're spending time understanding, um, you know, your partners, you know, their business and you're, you're branching out. It's very rarely one-on-one, make a decision and go. Right, it's going to find these other people, and culturally, uh, especially when you're working big companies, you you got to understand that and you have to invest a little bit in in Nemawashi, Right, it's like spend right. the time, do the homework. It's a tax, yeah. you know, stuff that we're doing now was started three, four years ago. 
you know, as a, let's just have a meeting, let's do this. And then like, well, this leads to this, leads to that. A little bit of advice here, a little bit of advice that you kind of work your way around, start popping up in, in dialogues internally with these partners. And next thing you know, here we go. And so, yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm curious when you said that you knew the word, because if, if you've dealt with Japanese companies, you kind of know the word. But, you know, for a lot of, you know, U.S. companies, we're not Nemawashi and it's. No, I, I, I don't think we are. I, I hadn't come across it through actual Japanese companies, but through the the nature of the more of the day to day work that I, I do, which is in product management, which is is all about getting the buy in of different stakeholders from customers, engineering, sales, success, design and prioritizing what we need to be working on and have that be extensible and accretive. And it you need to do the groundwork and lay the foundation for people to come to agreements. <laughs> right. Because, you know, what, what you want is you want people to buy into the vision and they just naturally do the right thing. Right. And so product management, yeah. that's a tough skill, right? Because you are right. You, you're, you're dealing with the engineers are saying, nope, can't be done. This is what we need to yeah. do. And they're <laughs> stubborn. This is what we want to go do. And then you have kind of the, the customer angle or the people in the field saying, well, this is kind of what we want to do, et cetera. Then you have like the financial guys in the company and the CEO saying, hey, we got to make money on this thing. You know, like, how, you know, <laughs> yeah. time to market, low cost. How are we doing this? Max margin. So it's an amorphous blob that you're trying to shape into a thing that works. So hats off to you for coming up that, that down that path because it's, it, you know, it's not easy and you're always looking to find people who are good at it. It's a skill. It's definitely a skill. And then Nemawashi does come up for sure in that respect. Because <laughs> it's, you're doing it all the time. I mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's fun though. Hey, look, I have a wife and two daughters. I'm doing Nemawashi at home all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. I think we've we've covered a, a lot of ground here. I want to leave a, a little space, uh, perhaps if there's something that you think is is particularly important that we haven't talked about yet. You know, whether that's part of your experience, you know, the the Cleveland ecosystem, company building process. Just kind of leave it leave it open for you here. Well, you know, listen, primarily to entrepreneurs out there, you know, you're gonna you're gonna shake a lot of trees to to kind of get where you want. You, there's there's no excuse for not a lot of effort. You can find it. It's in Cleveland, you you know, and you're going to have to network to it in a lot of cases. You're going to work through it and you're going to call in favors. You know, I use my board extensively. I have an amazing board of Cleveland business people. They go from like Bob Pavey to, you know, Ron Richards at the Cleveland Foundation, you know, uh, you know, Felix Bruick, ex McKinsey, you know, is, is chair of our board. You know, these people are super, super well connected. They love to they love to, to give their time and, 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 and help you and give you advice. You don't, have to, you don't have to listen to it all, but, you know, it's it's they're just a great one to do it. And they, and they broker relations and you just have to work. it. It's it's never just it's not as simple as I'm just you're solving a problem and boom, and you're off to the races. No, there's a lot of Nemawashi going on. And you, you know, you bet. And Cleveland has it. It's just like you said earlier, it's not there's not a density, you know, where you can find it. Like I've had, you know, I, I have friends inside of Lubrizol that I've shared. It has nothing to do with my business, but we but we talk to the same technology customers. And, and I go, OK, no, there's a little piece here. Let's save this little nugget. And so you start collecting all these different things. And, and it's just a lot of effort. And you you have to go into it, your eyes wide open and say, look, it's just not about inventing the, the, a better mousetrap. It's now, you know, going out there and finding all the different pieces that people that you need to contact to, to bring it to market. And it's hard. 
but it's it's doable. It's not that it's not doable here. It's just a it's just not as natural. There's just a, not a natural gravity to to create startups here that airs in the West Coast. And so, hey, I hope I'm successful. You know, I hope the next guy's successful. And then you start to create kind of a culture that allows this to happen. And you know, and that's what we're hoping. You know, trying to you know, it's be the you know, start the, the snowball rolling down the mountain. Let it let it grab, get some momentum. Let it get bigger here, and let's overwhelm everything because it's. It's, it can happen. It's available out here. So, you know, yeah. my thing is like, just keep grinding, man. It's every day. Just move the ball forward a little bit. You know, I mean, that's what I try to say. I come in every day, you know, you're putting your hours in. Did I move the ball? Did I advance it a little bit? You know, that's my goal all the time. And you yeah. keep doing that. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, oh, I scored a touchdown. Cool. And then <laughs> celebrate quickly. Now I'm, and you realize you got another one to go do. And you go do that. So that's it. But other than that, you know, Cleveland's a great place. And, um, you can find, you know, their success stories out there. They're, and everyone's willing to help. I mean, I help entrepreneurs who I've met in this journey who've called me up and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to pitch you this idea. And I've, I spent one that, that just got his first fundraising. And, you know, he sent me, here's my pitch deck. I go, okay, this sucks. And, you know, I say it with love. <laughs> yeah. It sucks. And let's, let's tighten this thing up. And then we spent, you know, evenings for, for two, three weeks and all of a sudden, boom, he got it. And he, and he sent me a very nice bottle of wine. He goes, thank you very much. You know, that's all I want. He goes, hey, you gave me a thank you. And he got he, he raised his first round of money off of that. And so, you know, help each other out, right? Because it's one success, we all succeed. You know, it's kind of good like that. Yeah. I, I appreciate your, your simultaneous pragmatism and optimism. <laughs> you're okay <laughs> <Practicism> <laughs> <and optimism. laughs> because i i don't know i i feel like the it's 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 somewhat different from the the broader narrative here well you look i'm a glass half full type of guy by by nature but you know you know but i do recognize certain limitations and you know that and i you just you have to you just gotta like you said pragmatically approach them and knock them off right saying okay this is a this is a risk. This is a challenge. We need to mitigate it. We got to resolve it. Move on, but you can't let it bring you down. As CEO, if you if you if you have a down day, it bleeds across the organization. Oh, you know, I, if I'm cranky, I don't want everyone else to be cranky. You know, so you got to kind of keep them up, keep it going, keep that face on, and keep moving forward. I mean, that's the the joy of of leadership, right? And the challenge. So that's my that's what it is. Well, er earlier you mentioned that Cleveland in and of itself is somewhat of a, of a hidden gem, yes. which, you know, sets the stage for my, my traditional closing question for everyone, which is for your favorite hidden gem in Cleveland. And, you know, maybe it is Cleveland, but um, <laughs> I'll, I'll pose that. Look, I'm, 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 I live on the east side of Chagrin Falls and I love that little village and there are, there are things around here. Now, the, the hidden gem that other cities don't have are the metro parks. And, and everyone says, oh, the Metro Parks. But, you know, specifically, look, I have a, a giant Labradoodle that likes to swim. And we go down to, you know, the, the you know, off Solon Road, there's Quarry Rock. And then there's, like, the Lookabout Lodge off of uh, off Miles. And we just go hiking in the woods. Very rarely is anyone there. So, bang, I can have him off leash. Next thing you know, he's in the river. I'm in the river. I mean, and the waterfalls, it's just sometimes you take a bump and go, oh, my God. We just climbed down a series of six waterfalls and we're five miles from our house and we're, and there's no one here. And so to me, 
the metro park systems that are tied around the Chagrin River, um, you know, I explore them all the time. You know, it, it's just, you can just wait them. You know, in the summertime when it's hot, everyone goes to where the parks are, but okay, get in the water, walk 200 yards downstream and you're where no one else has been and you're finding all these pools and falls. It's kind of great. So that's my thing. Um, I'm a foodie. I like Italian food. My go-to in Chagrin, I love I'm Italian because in my book, they have the best eggplant parmesan and I get yelled at every time we go there because I only get one thing. That's why I, I never change. My wife does it. And um, I have a group of guys that uh, that go up to uh, Flower, which is in Moreland Hills off of, of Sam. And on Tuesdays, they have half-priced bottles of wine. And so <laughs> we started going there when I moved back with like my one of my best, one of my best friends who lives here. And he's a, a lawyer uh, with one of the big firms in town. And it, it's grown to where we've about a dozen guys, anywhere from six to 12 guys show up every Tuesday. In fact, I'm going to go there tonight. And I don't need a reservation. They're going to go win. They hold us a table. We, we come in. Through the pandemic, we went every Tuesday night. Oh, wow. And it's kind of cool. And it's just a great atmosphere. And I love it. And um, so those are, my, those are my gems. I love the town of Chagrin. I love the metro parks, the easy access. And then 100 yards off the path and you're in places with no one else no one else is take your dog and have a blast. And then I gave you my two favorite restaurants. And now it's going to be tough for me to get a table. So <laughs> yeah, hopefully we don't, you know, rush on Tuesdays. Um, <laughs> but, Secret. <laughs> no, to our dozens of dedicated listeners. I think we'll be all right. Um, <laughs> this is great. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. Really appreciate it. If, if folks had, Anything they wanted to follow up with you about, what would be the, the best way for them to do so? Go to the website, you know, www.foliophotonics.com. Um, you can connect to me. There's a, you know, email the company and it'll come to me and it'll uh, come to someone here who will direct it to me saying, hey, I got a question. I want to do this. I want to buy data storage products from you. <laughs> Hopefully well, that's why. <laughs> or if you're an engineer and you want a cool job, that's really cool too as we grow because, you know, finding good engineers is always uh, uh, a lot of fun. But uh, bring us up. Love to do it. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.